Welcome to episode number 61 of the Marine Lair podcast. We'll wrap up the 2023 Mariners season. Jerry Depoto, Justin Hollander, and Scott Service at a press conference today. We'll react to some of the things they said, Cal's comments in the final weekend of the season, and Ty France going to driveline. Wow, how about that? Before we start the show, reminder to you guys, our listeners, if you're listening on our audio platforms, make sure to go check us out on YouTube. We've got a video side to the podcast. Make sure to like, comment, subscribe, turn the notification bells on over on our YouTube channel. And if you're watching on YouTube, listen to us too when you're driving in the car or taking a walk on the audio side of things on Apple, Spotify, Google, and Amazon. Follow us, download our episodes, leave us a five-star review. Really, the reviews, the downloads help us out a ton. So take the couple extra seconds to do that. Then follow us on social media. We'll be active there all off-season. We're not taking a break. Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, YouTube Shorts, at Marine Layer Pod. Let's get it rolling. And we welcome you to this episode of the Marine Layer Podcast, part of the Just Baseball Podcast Network, recording here on Tuesday, October 3rd. And for the first time in six months, we don't have to schedule the podcast around a baseball game. I couldn't think of anything sadder. I wish we were scheduling it around a baseball game. I thought they were supposed to be playing in October this year. At least that's what we thought at the start of the year. Yeah, we would have been a lot more tense today. We would have been doing our first post game of the playoffs, but instead it was the other four teams playing from the American League today. And kind of an empty feeling, dog. Kind of kind of empty with the only thing we have to pay attention to today was a press conference, which we'll talk about later on in this episode. We have some other things we'd like to get to first. But couldn't think of a more on-brand way to kick off the offseason. It's an empty feeling, but let's be real. Shouldn't we be immune to this by now? This is all we've known our whole lives. I know last year they broke the drought, but we didn't lose what this feeling felt like, did we? we we've gotten used to this. And we also haven't lost the feeling of being eliminated on the second to last or the last day of the season. Now, officially, as of this weekend, the Mariners, for the fourth time in 10 seasons, have been eliminated from the playoffs on either Game 161 or game 162. That's remarkable. That's to be in it until the last two days of the season is a remarkable talent. And, you know, I, I got to give this group credit for coming through and doing that for the fourth time in 10 seasons. Isn't like no fan base should have to suffer through that once, let alone four times in 10 seasons. But here we are. And there were true moments in those first three seasons where they missed in game 161 or 162. 161, I mean, I remember being at that game in 2014. Logan Morrison hit the game-tying double. It made it 1-1, which, by the way, was against what basically was a triple-A Angels roster. Mike Trout was taken out of the game in that one, and they barely won, but they won and then lost in 162. That Nelson Cruz homer in game 161 of 2016 was one of the most electric moments to go for absolutely nothing in well certainly in Mariners history and in 2021 you had Mitch Hanniger with the five RBI night and the single to take the lead in the eighth inning I guess retake the lead wasn't the case in 2023 game 161 of 2023 you had Luis Castillo go out there and put up his worst start as a Mariner 
you had it all set up for for glory. You had a Rangers bullpen day, one of the worst bullpens in baseball with your ace going on the mound. And if you looked at the box score, you would have thought the roles were flipped and that the Mariners were throwing a bullpen day and the Rangers had their ace on the mound. Uh, the Mariners were shut out until the eighth inning of a solo home run. Were not hitting the ball very hard throughout the night against the Rangers bullpen. They didn't put together many good at bats, <laughs> and that you know led to another elimination on Game One Sixty One, where they didn't get eliminated with that loss specifically. But then later on that night in the clubhouse, uh, watched the Astros win down in Arizona, deflating only to set up Lyle. One of the greatest Mariners moments of the 2023 season, George Kirby ripping off one of the nastiest knuckleballs you will see. I mean, talk about a dude who comes in throwing 99 and all of a sudden, in honor of the late Tim Wakefield, grabs a knuckleball grip and really just chucks it. And it was nasty and he got a swing and miss out of it. So at least we got that moment. It's funny. It feels like when guys throw knuckleballs, it's just about the only thing they throw. And you think about guys like Wakefield, like R.A. Dickey. There's not a lot of pitchers in baseball who, oh, five to eight percent of the time will mix in a knuckleball. You just don't see that. George Kirby apparently had been working on a knuckleball for a while now. He hadn't thrown it in a game until on Sunday. And yeah, it wasn't like one of those knuckleballs that just sat over the middle of the plate. One of those things. It's like, oh, I'll attempt to throw a pitch. We'll see what happens. No, like that thing had bite and sizzle on it. That thing got Corey Seager good. And that was a hard knuckleball too. You are knuckleballs usually in the mid seventies. Are they? Aren't they usually a few ticks slower than that? I feel like they're usually in the seventies. I feel like that's what I remember Wakefield being. Hmm. Okay. Well, regardless, George Kirby continues the trend of picking up a pitch and immediately being great at it. It comes back to when he learned his two-seamer. Robbie Ray was trying to master his two-seamer in the bullpen, and George is like, oh, yeah, let me try that, and rips off, Robbie said, one of the nastiest pitches he's ever seen, and Robbie threw his hands up in the air was like, what the fuck was that? That's, that's just not fair. So now George Kirby ends the season with seven different pitches, and a really nice way for George to go out to six shutout innings against the Rangers, the Mariners win a meaningless game 162 at home. Um, there is more disappointing things to talk about with this final stretch of the season. Do you have anywhere you would like to start? Well, I think we're going to end up circling back to the things we've been talking about on the last few shows. Bryce Miller and Brian Wu just weren't good enough. The offense fell flat when the team needed them most. I think those are the two big ones. But you want to throw in another element here. It's Luis Castillo. Here's the guy that's supposed to be your ace. You paid him like that. You put him at the front of your rotation for that exact reason. And he had not one, but two just clunkers when they needed him the most. He had no command in that Saturday start against the Rangers in 161. He gave up five walks. He lasted two and two thirds. He threw almost 90 pitches in less than three innings. That is not good. But if he even wins one of those starts, the, the script could have been flipped. If he wins that Monday game against the Astros, we're sitting here telling a different story right now because yep. one more win against the Astros does a whole lot of difference. But Luis gave up five runs and in six innings against Houston in that start. He just didn't have it again. And if the Mariners ace had pitched like the ace they've known him to be since they acquired him, it's a different story right now. But that wasn't the case. Luis didn't have it. The whole roster wasn't great the final 10 days, but 
your two marquee players, the two guys you would label the most on the roster as stars by both contract and visibility on the field, Castillo and Julio Rodriguez, both disappeared the final 10 days. You couldn't find them. If you if you were looking for the star version of those players, they weren't to be found those final 10 games of the season. So we have Castillo's two clunkers, five innings, eight hits, five earned runs against the Astros, two and two thirds, four earned, five hits, five walks against the Rangers. And then there's Julio's five uh, final 10 days. Cover your ears. 46 WRC plus striking out 34% of the time in the stretch. They needed him the most in the season. He was absent, unfortunately in the, in the, at the plate in multiple big spots and wasn't coming through. Wasn't driving in those runs. The Mariners did and games where they had opportunity to win, especially those first handful of games down in Texas. in that first three game series, Julio was not there to bail him out. And he's the poster boy for the whole offense over the final 10 games. He didn't hit. Hey, Oscar certainly did not hit. Cal did not hit. Gino over that 10-game stretch could have been much better. Your four most impactful bats, Sam's J.P. Crawford, just didn't show up. J.P. couldn't do it all on his own. He tried. That Grand Slam on Friday and the rest of the stretch he had at the end of the year here was unbelievable. His whole season was unbelievable. But he couldn't do it on his own. We saw that. Look at Luis's two starts. Look, he was not good in those outings, but he got two total runs of support in those two outings against the Astros and the Rangers. Can't win games like that. It's on him and it's on the offense. Team wide failure. Po- yeah, and Julio was the poster boy. And I want to zoom out a little bit to the entire months of September and October. The entire month of September and the first day of October, which I will encapsulate as the final month of the season. We got to the 1st of September. Mariners were in first place, and we're like, okay, well, this team is one good month away from making the playoffs, potentially winning the division. They know what's in front of them. They have good teams in front of them. They need to play well, and they need to need to be balanced and all of that to make the playoffs. Well, over that stretch, the Mariners now finish that 12-18. and 18. They were 13th in baseball in ERA, 24th in pitching F-War, 21st in FIP. 15th in strikeout rate on the mound. Then on the hitter's side, they were 18th in F-War, 20th in slugging, 25th in on-base percentage, 19th in WRC+, 21st in walk rate, and 24th in strikeout rate. A team-wide failure over the final month of the season is the reason they didn't make the playoffs. Straight up. Pitching was their strength all year. Didn't show up. Their bats were red hot in August, even past the All-Star break. That second half of July, they started to cook. Didn't happen in September. And even the bullpen wasn't as sharp as it had been for most of the year. It's the truth. When all three facets of your team are failing all at once, that's not going to result in success. And we saw it. They didn't make the playoffs as a result. Not to mention, while they should have done it on their own, they didn't get any outside help either. The Diamondbacks got swept in the last weekend of the year by the Astros. Arizona having multiple chances to win those Friday and Saturday games, they didn't do it. So everything combined just felt like the tides had turned against the Mariners for the good. Everything went wrong for Seattle, and they got no outside help. And that's why that's why they're sitting where they're sitting right now. A couple things. We can end this on a positive note. Just highlight now that the season is concluded. 
some things that were great. They really were great. Julio still was great. He's a given, though, so I left him off this list. I think when you give a guy a 17-year contract, that kind of speaks for itself. Can we just admire it, the conclusion now of J.P. Crawford's season? The first Mariner in history to lead the American League in walks ever. 47 years of the Seattle Mariners. J.P. Crawford is the first in Mariners history to lead the league in walks. Finished with five baseball reference war despite only playing 145 games. A near 800, over 800 OPS, nearly 20 home runs, all while playing shortstop. Everything the Mariners could have asked out of J.P. Crawford this season, he did, had his moments at the end of the season. And again, as we said, the team just did not pick him up, but really just credit to J.P. And then George Kirby and Logan Gilbert, both over three baseball reference wins above replacement. George nearly got to four, both nearly through 200 innings. When you draft guys in the first round, you want, 200 inning arms and by next season both of them will be 200 inning arms and that was I would say the 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 real positives from this season in terms of best case player development you got those out of those three J.P. Crawford was once a top three prospect in baseball maybe that's dwelled on some Mariners fans maybe it hasn't but J.P. Crawford for the first time in his career this year looked like the guy that was once a blue chip prospect in the game. You put up a five war and hit the way he hit this year and get on base the way he got on base. That's who he was once projected to be. And between going to driveline, between just getting a little bit more powerful, between his approach getting that much better, everything. He looked like that guy and he was this year. That was as much of a step forward as anybody could have dreamed of J.P. Crawford taking here in 2023. And the hope is he just continues it moving forward here. And, and, and you would hope that he would. I, I, I think we could agree that the biggest step we hope for JP is his defense. Like That's it. Yeah, and that's still got to get better. Yeah, it does. We'll get into that more. Our grades are coming up starting next week. Uh, we will go like infielders, outfielders, starters, relievers, uh, yeah. etc. So, so four different shows starting yeah. next week. We'll do a show for, yeah, starter, sorry. We'll do a show for infielders, then a show for outfielders, then a show for starters, then a show for relievers, and we'll have some guests mixed in there too. So we will give season grades to all these guys for the, for the year as a whole. And JP will certainly get a good grade, but we'll dive into him even further once we get to that point. But yeah, overall, you couldn't be more thrilled with what he did this year. Absolutely. Are we going to talk about this presser now? I guess it's about that time. I guess the last thing I was going to put a bow on with the season concluding, if you just want a little nugget here, is this is the fourth time in the last full in the last five full seasons that the Mariners won 88 or more games, which really as a whole is, is not a bad franchise and not a bad string of success. The problem is it's resulted in one playoff appearance. They need to do more. Absolutely. There has also been bad luck sprinkled in there. 2021, you win 90 games. You think that would get you in. A lot of years, 88 wins would get you in. Hasn't happened. So the Mariners have had some good seasons for the last five full years, but only one playoff appearance. And ultimately, that's all people are going to remember. They're not going to remember getting unlucky. They're not going to remember just falling short and taking that as a win. They're going to say, no, you've got to make the postseason. So 
What comes next is how are you going to build on that, which maybe transitions to this press conference here where we may or may not have gotten a little bit of a peek behind the curtain on what that could look like. Yeah, I'm glad Jerry came out and and talked today. And I, I guess my 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 comment about that is you mentioned good seasons. Yes, I don't think anyone is denying the season was good. But when you start the season with a hype video with a sentence written on the whiteboard that says win it all, I think people have an expectation beyond good, which is why some people in the fan base view the season as a failure. Uh, and Jerry DePoto addressed that. Yeah, he did. And for reference, this could be an outlier, but the Braves won 88 games in 2021, right? When they won the World Series, they were only an 88-win team. They did. And yeah. if we're talking about franchise luck, right? We, we The Mariners, the last three seasons, winning 88 or more games and making the playoffs once is unlucky. Absolutely, it is. I think back to, uh, what was that, the 06 St. Louis Cardinals won 81 games or 82 and won the World Series. You, that doesn't happen to every franchise. Not every franchise can make the playoffs and have everything break their way. That The Mariners of a franchise have made the playoffs five times in 47 seasons. If they were a lucky franchise, they would have made the playoffs more often than that, 100%. But there also comes to a point where you realize, okay, well, maybe let's we could be a little safer and win more than ninety games and assure ourselves a playoff spot. We're not if the Mariners had won ninety eight games and missed the playoffs any of these seasons, I think we would have a right to bitch at it a hundred percent. Ninety eight games and you miss the playoffs, that would be absurd. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about a team that has won about fifty four, fifty five percent of its games, which is good. People want great. 54%. That was a popular number in today's press conference. We're going to get into all that. Before we do, quick word from our friends over at Pagacha's Pub 85 in Kirkland, east of 405. Got some great parking. It's got some of the best pizza you could find. It's got 22 TVs in the place, some great drinks, great hangout environment. And just because the Mariners are done doesn't mean baseball's done. There's plenty of baseball games going on throughout the month of October during the day, too. So if you want to watch some baseball games or really any sporting event you could think up, go over to Pagacha's Pub 85 and do so. And if you go during the day, they've got some awesome happy hour specials, Monday through Friday, 2 to 6 p.m., happy hour over at Pagacha's Pub 85. They've got $3 domestic beers, $4 Manny's Blue Moons, $4 Mac and Jacks, $4 Wells, $4 House Wines. That's over at Pagacha's Pub 85 in Kirkland. Make sure to go check it out. We can't recommend it enough. This fall, stream your favorites and discover more with Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN Plus together. Watch the highly anticipated new season of Loki and see the ghosts materialize in Haunted Mansion on Disney Plus. Catch more frights with The Boogeyman and American Horror Story Delicate on Hulu. And on ESPN Plus, get into the action with college football and NFL. All of these and more streaming now. Get the Disney Bundle with plans starting at $9.99 a month. Plans with ESPN Plus starting at $14.99 a month. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. On to this press conference. I think there were some quotes that stood out to people. I went and listened to it in person and got to sit in for it. And there were certainly a few things that stood out. 
There's a lot of ways we can go about this. I think where we should start is probably Cal Raleigh because it all comes together between the quotes he had in the final weekend and what Jerry's thoughts on them were in the press conference today. So let's just dive into that a little bit. Cal Raleigh on Saturday, after the Mariners were eliminated, talked to the media while also on camera, by the way, talking about, look, we need to go out and get more impact pieces. He said, like, we need to get better. We need to go out and get big time hitters, big time pitchers. You see the team across from us. He was mentioning the Rangers. He was referencing the Rangers who had just clinched a playoff spot that night. Cal said they spent as much as anybody this past offseason. Look where it got him. He said, we need to start doing that. He called out the front office and ownership publicly and directly to the media. On Sunday, he retracted some of it. He issued an apology statement. I think the biggest reason for that is he didn't want to seem like a sour apple to his teammates and seem like he was throwing anybody under the bus. So I think he felt like he was obligated to say something. But he said, I'm not going to apologize for wanting to win. My goal is to win a World Series. The city deserves it. The fans deserve it. And I think we can both speak and say, I don't think Scal Raleigh said anything wrong. If anything, people should be fired up with what he said. Your player should be motivated to want to win, and he is. And the other guys they talked to in the clubhouse, Ty, Logan, JP, all had his back. I'm I'm wondering how long has this been brewing for Cal? Because he doesn't just say these things. He didn't just think of when the Astros got eliminated. Oh, yeah, I'm going to say this. No, he has had this on his mind if the scenario came about to say this to the media if possible. Because the context of all this situation... Not many people wanted to talk after game 161 on Saturday. A lot of the guys dispersed to their corners of the clubhouse after the Astros won down in Arizona and weren't talking to the media. Cal stuck around. Cal was ready to talk. He he knew what he was going to say on his mind. And is he wrong? No. No, he's not. And the way you frame his apology makes a little bit more sense. I thought his apology was so weird because he starts it by apologizing, saying, oh, let my emotions get the best of me and all, and all this, and then says, oh, actually, but I don't apologize for wanting to win, which was the, the entire reason he said that statement in the first place. It it honestly didn't even really sound like an, an apology because Cal made his feelings known. And whether he apologizes or not, that's what he thinks, and that's what the leaders in that clubhouse think. And I think this team believes they did not have enough to go out there and win. And it, sh- and it showed in September when they had to play some good teams and they needed to rely not just upon their stars, but the other guys on the roster. And it, and it wasn't there. And they could see that happening right in front of them. And they watch what could potentially be a division title slip through their fingertips. Does that make much sense? I think that makes sense. Definitely. I think we both agree that Cal was in no place of wrong in terms of what he said. Again, I think the reason he issued the apology is I think internally he probably started to worry and say, how are my teammates going to react to this? Am I going to seem like the bad guy? Is it going to seem like I'm calling people out? Is it going to seem like I'm not appreciative of some of my teammates? Especially because Cal Raleigh is now already looked at as one of the leaders on this team. I think he felt obligated. The flip side to this is, are people now going to look at him and say more what you're saying in the sense of, this looks forced. It makes it seem like somebody pressured him to do this and he did it unwillingly. So it is 
again, you could take either side to this. Again, I, I just think he wanted to make sure there wasn't a bad rift in the clubhouse, and that's what he was trying to protect. But Cal is right with what he said. They do need to get better. They need more bats. And look, this wasn't coming from Tommy LaStella. Cal Raleigh, you want to talk about guys taking steps? He took another huge step this year. He got even better behind the plate, at the plate. He hit more homers. You could see the power just continuing to blossom. Cal Raleigh has every right to say, I'm doing my part. I think the front office needs to do theirs and ownership needs to do theirs. Logan and JP were talking about the same thing. We've got a core here. We have guys here who are ready to win, who can contribute. We're just asking for a little more help, a little bit more from the outside to get this team over the top and help out. Because again, you have the nucleus of this team doing what they're supposed to be doing. They have built such a good core. They've just got to add a little bit more, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And I think offense is exactly what he's talking about. He used the quote, we need big-time hitters and big-time pitchers. Well, the Mariners have acquired big-time pitchers. They traded for Luis Castillo, and they signed a reigning Cy Young Award winner, along with developing two of their first-round picks and two of the top 20, uh, 20, 25 pitchers in the American League. So that's not really the issue there. I, Cal's... When Cal looks across the way in the, in the quote he said, it's like you look at the team across the way and look at what they've done with their roster and going out and acquiring blue chip talent. You know, they've, they've made it now. Well, the two main acquisitions they made, the two biggest names were both bats and both infield bats. And Cal, you know, like we know what the roster lacks and they lack bats. And that's what I see with that. And, and to his, like to his, his winning thing, it, I think the way we framed it is generally, but I mean, Cal specifically in, in, in this quote says, you know, we've been right at this 90 win mark for a few years now. We've just got to be better than 90 wins because he understands like the rest of us do that 90 wins every season doesn't cut it. It just doesn't. And he's as frustrated as everyone. You put in a full season of work thinking that you can make the playoffs but you just don't have the horses to do so. It's It's got to be so frustrating for months and months and months of work just to not pay off. I will say there is one third blue chip acquisition the Rangers made. He just barely played and it was on the pitching side. Right. In Jacob deGrom. Right. But, but yes, the, the two main acquisitions they made are infield bats who have been massive impact guys. And by the way, over the last two years, those are the best two free agent bats, period that have been the best bang for their buck in terms of their contract. Because obviously there's always all these Mariners fans that say, spend money this, spend money that. And look, we think the Mariners should spend money, but it doesn't mean irresponsibly spend money. Because you know what? It's easy to say, oh, just go get Semyon and Seager. Well, you could have gone and got Trevor Story and Xander Bogarts. That would have been spending a lot of money. And those guys aren't really living up to it. So there's a balance to this, right? There's another thing, too, which I thought uh, just odd timing. I don't know if Cal saw this or not, but Corey Seager's postgame interview with Mm -hmm. Ken Rosenthal, where he specifically credited the Rangers organization in front office and said, hey, those guys went out and spent and added the things we needed to come out here and do what we've done and make the playoffs. Specifically, after eliminating the Mariners, that's what Corey Seager said on national television. And man, did it make the rounds on Mariners Twitter. Uh, but it it was almost too coincidental of Corey Seager saying that and then Cal Raleigh saying, yeah, actually, we need to do that too. 
Maybe it was Kyle Seeger just running a total scheme from way beyond enemy lines. He he told Corey to say that in front of the camera, and then he actually told Cal to say what he said in front of the camera, just as his way to circle back to the organization and try to throw him under the bus. (laughs) (laughs) He's got a massive group chat going. He's got JP in there. He's got Ty in there. He's got Logan in there. All the guys who backed up who backed up Cal Raleigh. That would be, yeah. that would be quite something. I think we both thought that when we saw that. But it, it's an interesting coincidence of that's what Corey said, and that's what Cal ended up saying. And again, I'm gl- I'm glad his teammates have his back, even the ones like I don't know if Cal's necessarily talking about Ty France. We're talking about Ty France now in terms of fringe roster players that we don't know are slam dunk Mariners next year. But even despite that. The guy's still having his back, which is good. And then we get to today, where Jerry, did you have something else you wanted to add? Oh, I was just going to talk about just a little bit more with this this Cal quote in terms of, yeah, because okay. we'll, we'll get to the press conference here in a second, but oh, there was something else I was going to bring up before you were kind of on that last bit here. And, and if I remember it, I'll come back to it, but we can get to the press conference part of it here because Jerry DePoto was asked about Cal's comments today in terms of what did you think about what he said? And this wasn't really one of the quotes that totally stood out because Jerry said, look, I think all players are entitled to their opinions. I think Cal Raleigh is more than deserving of having an opinion, like all the players should be. And he said, I won't begrudge any of them for it. So that wasn't really one of the quotes that stood out. DePoto kind of gave the status quo answer. Scott Service gave something a little bit different. We can talk about that in a minute here too. Oh, I remember what I was going to say about Cal. Last thing here. We were talking about, he used the phrase, big-time pitchers and big-time hitters. If Cal really wanted to put it all out there, he should have just gone, we need to sign a guy that's a big-time pitcher and big-time hitter all in one. Without name-dropping him, so he doesn't get hit with a tampering charge. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I don't know who that said person could be. I mean, Luis Torrens does it for us. We could probably use some more guys like him if there's... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> possibly somebody out there who could it be i don't know i'll let the front office decide that but i just think if there's somebody out there who happens to be a big time pitcher and a big time hitter all in one we should go sign him speaking of that two-name guy was not mentioned today in the press conference now i have a theory is he technically not a free agent until after the world series I, I guess so yeah well yeah because that would make more sense because if he's still under contract with the angels you can't talk about acquiring him yeah, that that could be. I mean, they they talked about Teoscar Hernandez today, although he is, I guess, still under contract with the Mariners. Because if what you're saying is right, that yeah, he's technically not a free agent until after the World Series, you can still talk about your own guy. Uh, my theory on it was more along the lines of, and I talked about this today. I put out one of our layer talk things on Twitter and and our Instagram story. If you want to check it out, I talked about if you remember six years ago, the Mariners not only wanted Otani. But they very openly talked about how much they wanted him. Like Jerry was on his podcast talking about it on the wheelhouse. He was on 710, now Seattle Sports talking about it a lot. There were quotes about it everywhere. He was very open about the fact that they really wanted Shohei Otani. And some people believe that might have actually pushed Otani away. So maybe part of it is they are technically not allowed to talk about him yet, which if that's the case, then obviously they were not going to name drop him. However, I think they're also going to be much, much more selective and use their words much more carefully this time than they did six years ago. Because if that truly pushed Otani away, they don't want to do that again. 
Again, I think the Mariners are absolutely going to be in on Otani. I think they are absolutely in on these sweepstakes. Will they get them? We don't know. I think they're going to be in on them, but I don't think they're going to be telling the media that this time. I think they're going to keep things in house. Hmm. I, I feel like that's a very, I don't know how much saying publicly you want him to the media would drive him away. They, but that uh, was I think there might have, I think they're, that was kind of reported last time that, that okay, they tone it down, have... but like Jerry's going to go on the radio in November and they're going to be like, so, uh, you guys are interested in Shohei, right? I mean, what is he going to say? He's obviously going to say yes. Maybe they just won't, won't buy a, buy a billboard in Times Square and put him on, put him in a Mariner's uniform. Okay. But okay. So I, it's funny enough. I was going back and, and scrolling through some of these very old wheelhouse podcast episodes. Cause I remember how much they talked about him extensively on those. I'm sure now when Jerry gets asked these questions about Shohei, he's going to say, look, he's an incredible talent. I think all 30 teams would love to have Shohei Otani on their team. We're going to do what's best for this ball club. We'll be very open in talks with several different players, whether that's trade, free agency, et cetera. He's going to use answers more like that. I went back and listened to some of those wheelhouse episodes, and he was talking about they had set up a meeting with them. They talked about what their sales pitch to him was going to be. They talked about they had this whole PowerPoint presentation for him. They talked about all the people they brought in. They talked about they had this like 200-page booklet for him that they made. They like really, really went in on details about how much effort they were putting into trying to get Shohei Otani. And for those that are curious, if you go back and listen to these very early wheelhouse podcast episodes, he talks about it. And this is what I'm getting at. I don't think they're going to do that again because I think that drove Otani away a little bit. Not 100%, but I do not think that helped in trying to get him to Seattle. And that's what I'm getting at. They're still going to do all those things. In case you're worried, they're probably going to do that and then some in their sales pitch meeting to him, but they won't disclose it to the public. What other of these um, viral instances that Jerry had today should we touch on? Um, Well, there was... Well, I was going to yeah. say there's a, there's a couple, but before we get to totally changing the subject, while Cal Raleigh's still not too far in the rearview mirror, do we want to talk about it all about what Scott said about him? Because it was a little bit different than what Depoto said about him. Well, I didn't hear that one. Scott Service. Well, remember on it wasn't today in the press oh, conference. Oh, it was. I thought you were in the press conference. I did. I did hear what Scott said Sunday about him, which yeah. I thought was interesting to say the least is it it, he scott's general premise was you know guys sometimes lose their emotions and you know it's part of growing as a ball player you know how to control those emotions i do think some people took that a little bit out of context saying like scott was was shaming cal for speaking his mind to the media they just don't like that stuff getting out of the house cal's welcome to think that but not talking on the record to reporters is I think what, what Scott was more going at. And he, and he referenced the, unfortunately, which this thing I don't agree with was referencing the George Kirby situation and referencing Jared Kelnick kicking a water cooler as terms of emotional outbreaks, which I think this was completely different and had absolutely nothing to do with frustration. Not, not the same level of frustration. Not, this was a more methodical thought out thing. That, that Cal did. So I, I thought it was interesting. Is I think that's how I'll put it. Yeah, interesting. Hey, you told Cal to speak his mind, and all I'll say to that is what's necessary is never unwise. Loyal listeners get the reference. Mm-hmm. So 
I am mostly in agreement with you on this, that this was much different than Kelnick or Kirby. I think what Scott was getting at is all three of those players had to get in front of the media this year and issue some sort of statement or apology. I think Scott could have done a little bit of a better job separating those guys because you're right. What Cal said was much more well thought out and articulate than kicking a water cooler or saying, I think I should be yanked out of the game after 90 pitches. So it would have been nice to differentiate that a little bit, but I think things were taken out of context a little bit because in that statement on Sunday, and I want to reiterate, Scott didn't comment again on the Cal stuff in the Tuesday press conference. This was just on Sunday. Scott said, look, Cal was the first one in my office Sunday morning. We had a long talk about it. He got his thoughts out. I got my thoughts out. Like they settled it. There's not bad beef there, at least as far as we know. I think this is mostly going to be water under the bridge. I just think maybe things were misconstrued a little bit. And yes, Scott could have said, yeah, this is a little bit different than Kelnick and Kirby, but I I just, I don't think it was that big of a deal. No, I don't think so either. And again, Scott has to talk to the media every day, so... Not everything he says is going to be rosy and perfect and exactly what you want to hear, as we know, right. by looking at our replies and mentions throughout the season, especially here in this final month. Uh, <laughs> if you want to get back to this presser, there are a couple of very important. Do you have one more thing? No, I was going to transition okay. it to you and say you can pick your poison. What do you want to start okay. with here in this press conference? Well, let's talk about. So uh, this is a quote I know a little bit more familiar. I'm going to ask you about Jerry's reasoning for pitching to free agents. I I don't have that quote memorized, but I do have this one memorized. So we'll start with this one. Jerry feels like the roster is a very sustainable place, is the kind of consensus he gave us. But the way he framed it in talking about this season is that he said this season was a step forward for the team and for the organization because he thought this core went into place. I don't agree the fact that this season was a step forward for this Mariners team. I I don't think so. I think a step forward would have been making the American League Championship Series, not losing and getting eliminated in Game 161. That was the reasoning he did. It's a complicated quote, so I'll let you comment on that. Look, in terms of just team winning and losing, no, they didn't take a step forward. In 2022, they got to the ALDS, were close in all three games to beating the Astros, and took away that postseason run where they said, oh, we've got some real stuff to build on here going into 23. It felt like just the first step. 2023, they didn't make the playoffs. You're right. In in that way, they absolutely did not take a step forward. In terms of winning and losing games, they did not take a step, and they're not in the postseason. But Jerry is very smart and articulate about what he says. He doesn't just speak out of his ass. He's not just throwing quotes out there, despite what some people like to think. Jerry's very smart. And he's not just saying things to say things. So when he says they took a step forward as a group this year, look, by war, this was a 94-win team. Let me say that again. By wins above replacement, the 2023 Mariners were a 94-win team this year. That is better than they were in 2022 when looking at team war. So I understand what he was saying in that regard. I also understand what he was saying in terms of how many guys took steps this year. Cal, Julio, JP, Kirby, Logan. There's a ton of guys. Kelnick. There's a ton of guys that took steps this year. So I understand why people do not like the quote, and maybe he could have phrased it a little bit better. But in terms of saying we took a step forward, there are absolutely ways they took a step forward. Again, they were a better ball club by war than they were a season ago. 
That's not for nothing. I understand it's frustrating to not get to the playoffs. We're frustrated. We're sitting here frustrated. We're not happy about it. But we're also looking at the numbers and saying, Jerry is not just throwing quotes out there. There's purpose behind it. That's all. Okay, but did they take a step forward this season? No, again, as a team, they did not. And that's what I started that with. As a team, just in terms of of winning and losing, they did not. And and in terms of wanting to win an AL West, they didn't win enough games to do that. 88 wins a lot of seasons gets you a wild card spot. It will not get you a division title, I guess, unless you play in one of the central divisions. And even those years, it has to be a down year in the central, AL or NL. But yes, yeah. I was going to say, especially when you come into this season expecting to win the division and you're expecting to contend for an American League pennant, and that's what you think. And it's just kind of annoying to hear the general manager say that after the season is over. Like, you can always look at individual things and say, yep, that was good. We wanted that to happen. That did happen. So that qualifies as us taking a step forward in what we want to. But seeing where the expectations were come April 1st of this season and said, okay, we're going to tweet out a video that has us writing on a whiteboard saying, win it all with two underlines under it. Win it all. What does that mean? Win the whole fucking thing. So to come after the season and still say your team took a step forward when you didn't even make the playoff field, wins above replacement or not, it's kind of hard to, to just come out and say that. That's what I think. And I would agree because at the Again, end of the day, wins and losses are all that matters. You can we can talk about our advanced stats. We love advanced stats. We talk about them all the time. But at the end of the day, if you don't win enough games, it doesn't matter. And again, let me make that point more clear because again, I, I sure. said a lot in that statement. But yes, by wins and losses, they did not take a step forward. They were in the ALDS last year. They did not make the playoffs this year. That is objectively a step back. I just think that for everybody that's so ready to dunk on them, you can be frustrated. I am not saying that quote was perfect, but I'm also saying there was some truth in it. You may not like it. You may not like the way he phrased the quote, but there is some truth in that statement. Here's another thing he mentioned. He was using the rationale of building a sustainable product. I mentioned sustainable a little bit before the last one, and we'll bring it back for this one. He says, continues to say their goal is to to build a sustainable decade-long product that can contend for a World Series year in and year out. Great. Love the idea. He was pushing back along the ideas like, okay, well, we don't want to push all of our chips in to win a World Series in one season and force our roster to take a step back for a number of years after that because we weren't good enough to win a World Series. Okay. That's Jerry's philosophy, whether you agree with it or not. Okay. Like, I get the idea of building a sustainable roster. But then this, I thought, was very interesting. He pulls out a number and says, 54%. If we win 54% of our games over a 10-year stretch, odds are about 90% of the time we'll make it to a World Series in that stretch. Which, in theory, I'm thinking about, oh, that doesn't sound too bad. But a 54% winning percentage, on average throughout the years is 88 wins was what the Mariners did this year. 44, 54%. That's what they hit this year. And it obviously wasn't good enough. And now Jerry said, okay, some years you might go 500 in the stretch. Some years you might win 60% of your games and you just got to pick the right year to go win the world series with that core. The problem is when Jerry makes that statement and is throwing out a a 60% mark, 
they haven't done that, <laughs> which I think people are a little frustrated at when you're trying to say, okay, well, we're trying to build a window and trying to hit this 54% mark over 10 years. Yet all we've done three years in a row is win 54.5% of our games on average the last three seasons. And that hasn't been nowhere near enough games to give you an opportunity to get in the playoffs, let alone compete for a World Series. So I thought that was uh, a more articulate jury quote that he had thought out and numbers he wanted to use. I thought that was an interesting set of numbers. 54% win total over a decade. It's probably enough to get you a lot of wildcard berths. And if Jerry's talking about just getting into the playoffs and potentially winning a World Series, yeah, you can make a run as a wildcard team a couple of those years, get into the World Series. Certainly possible. 54% winning percentage is not enough to win a lot of AL West titles. And especially in the new playoff format where six teams get in from each league and two teams get a bye, I think that bye makes a big difference. The Mariners have never had it, so we haven't gotten to experience it firsthand. But I think it makes a big difference, and that's not enough to get the bye. You've got to win more games than that to win the AL West and earn yourself some first-round buys so you don't have to play in the Wild Card Series and set yourself up for more chances to get to the Fall Classic because you play more games at home with that first-round buy. It means you're one of the higher seeds. It's going to favor you a lot more, especially if you get to the World Series and you're one of the higher seeds. Yeah, look... Like I said, the Mariners four of the last five full seasons have won 88 or more games, and there's bad luck involved there. But if you're talking about really being a powerhouse in the American League and not a fringe wildcard team every year, you've got to win more than 54.5% of your games. Here's the last thing for me, and then I'll let you talk about the free agent quotes he had. He had this is the one that went by far the most viral. Uh, there was a quote, tell me if I'm taking it out of context in any sense, said, we're doing the fan base a favor by by having you guys be patient for this is is pretty much what Jerry said in terms of we're doing you a favor for you guys uh, for making you guys be patient to see this sustainable product that we're going to have out on the field again if this quote came out in 2021 i think people would have less of an issue with it but i think people are just sick of having the president of baseball operations tell them to be patient when you've won 90 uh, 88 plus games three seasons in a row what what else is there to be patient about and oh by the way this came up right before we started recording katie griggs the mariners president of business operations as i believe her title was doing some event before the season started this season and was quoted saying uh, we're done asking you fans to be patient and wait for us to win. Those are your two presidents within the organization saying the exact opposite thing at the exact opposite ends of a season. And I don't know if Jerry remembered that quote. I don't know if he would have said what he said if Katie Griggs did say it, but he did say it. And that puts everything in uh, quite a pickle. So I will say this one was phrased less than ideally. This one was not phrased well. I will say that this question, when it was originally brought up, did have something to do with the fan base. And it was it had something to do with like fans believing X, Y, or Z. So he didn't just randomly bring up the fans as far as I remember. I, I think it's somehow 
tied in. Look, this press conference was over an hour long. I'm trying to remember everything that was said. But if I remember right, it was like it was a question about the fans. So I don't think Jerry just brought that out of left field. While it much it could have been phrased much better, I will say that I think the point he was getting at is he was talking more about if we just try to go all out to win a World Series year by year on a year by year basis, that's not really a sustainable plan. You want firsthand proof of that? You think the Mets and Padres are the model right now? They're not. The Mets just sold off at the deadline despite having the highest payroll in the history of baseball. That's what Jerry's going against. Again, let me say this again. He could have phrased it much, much better. But I don't want the Mariners to be the Mets or the Padres. I'm sorry if somebody on payroll Twitter finds this and freaks out, which they probably will because anybody ever that suggests, oh, they should do anything less than have the highest payroll in baseball and irresponsibly spend money. But I'm sorry, I don't think the Padres and the Mets are the models to win baseball games. What are they doing right now? They're sitting on the couch just like the Mariners are with significantly higher payrolls. And both those teams are now talking about having to shed payroll. I think that's what Jerry was getting at. Could have phrased it much better. But if you were a Mariners fan and your take is they should be the Mets and the Padres and just year by year try to base your whole blueprint around just being irresponsible to win the World Series, because that's what spending that type of money is. It's irresponsible. That's what you're setting yourself up for. Jerry doesn't want to do that. And that's not how the Mariners are built. No, and he won't do that. No matter how much people ask him online to change, this is what Jerry DePoto is. Now, if Jerry DePoto's way doesn't work for another season, um, I will, I think you and I both agree it's like it's getting to be time for that. Like Jerry's got to start winning. Like they, they we understand uh, what Jerry is is doing here and and why he's doing it, and what the thought process is. He says patience, right? He's saying patience. You got it. Guys got to trust in the sustainable product. But if that product's not there next season and good to go and, and winning over 90 games, like that, I think that's a, a baseline right there, over 90 games next season, then the issues are really going to come out. And then it's up to see if the people above Jerry DePoto are as serious about winning as they actually are. I think that's what it is. So Jerry says patience, and we'll see how patient they actually are. And the people above him are come next season. We'll, we'll learn a lot. If the Mariners are not in the playoffs next season, let alone make a decent run in the postseason next year, I think there will be questions. I'm not going to say I lean one way or another because I'm kind of undecided on it, but I think all of a sudden, both Jerry DePoto and Scott Service, their seats get a little bit warmer if they're not in the playoffs next year. Certainly if they're not in the playoffs next year. And if they get bounced in the wild card round or something like that next year, there's going to be questions too. What did Jerry say about free agents? So he was asked in this post-game presser about why do you feel like Seattle is an unattractive market for free agents? And I actually thought this was one of the answers he gave that was one of his better answers. And, and maybe some of you have listened and listened to me talk here on this episode and think that I've defended all of DePoto's quotes. Again, I am somebody who usually more tends to side with the things DePoto says, and I understand his plan despite me also saying that if they don't win next year, he could be on the hot seat. I think what he said about the free agent stuff makes sense. And we've heard about what takes free agents back in the past is the weather, travel, the ballpark factor, 
the history of the Mariners, which has not been successful. But Jerry DePoto actually outlined what the last couple of years have looked like. And I think this actually was a decent point because he talked about, look, in 2019, maybe we weren't the most attractive place for free agents. In 2020, maybe we were not the most attractive place. In 2021, despite being a 90-win team, that roster overperformed. And your best player was Mitch Haniger, whose WRC Plus wasn't that far above league average. But then all of a sudden, you look at 2022 and 23, which is when the core really has started to form, the last two years. You signed Robbie Ray. You traded for Luis Castillo. And then you extended him. Luis didn't have to take that extension. He could have hit free agency starting in a couple weeks here. He opted to stay. You inked Julio to the huge extension. Julio did not have to do that. Julio could have played his six years and then just hit free agency. He wants to be here a long time, and that shows his belief in this organization. So when you look at what the Mariners have done the last two years, I think they've started to kind of turn the tides in terms of not just the money they've spent, but how outside players look at this organization. And I think that's a decent enough sample size here to continue to build off of going forward. I don't know what free agency or trades are going to look like this winter. But I think all of a sudden, Jerry said, it's not an unattractive place for free agents. And I really am start- I really believe that, especially what we've done the last couple seasons. And I think that's a valid point, despite what some people like to say. Now, Jerry's welcome to believe that. But I think to get the general consensus among national media, local media, and fans, and players for that, other players who are not free agents, to be sold on that, we need to see ink on paper for hitters. In Seattle, if it, if it really is attractive, we'll have to see sometime in the next few years if they're in the running for a big time hitter and they actually sign him. That speaks more than anything else does. They've shown that they can get pitchers. Robbie Ray, Ray was a little bit of a unique situation, but they did ink a reigning Cy Young Award winner. Getting pitchers to pitch in T-Mobile Park is never that tricky unless they just hate travel because if they like ballparks to pitch in. 81 games a year, that's the place to go. So until we see results from what Jerry says, it could all be true. But a lot of truth in today's world is belief as well. People need to believe what they're seeing. And we haven't seen it. Yeah, the other side of this coin is the biggest free agent contract the DePoto regime has given to a hitter is one year, seven million bucks to AJ Pollock, which overtook one year, five and a half million bucks to Nori Aoki. So that is a fair point. I would also say that I think unless you get Shohei this winter, it might be hard to ink a huge free agent bat otherwise, because this is not a good free agent class for hitters. It so doesn't it have may to be come- this year. It could be any any of the next few years, but some like someone needs to 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 do the deed to prove it. They do. And We'll see if that happens. I I just think, again, I'm not saying he's perfect, but I am saying that they have spent money successfully over the last couple of seasons and have attracted people. I'll say this again. Luis Castillo did not have to sign an extension here. In fact, I had my doubts if he would. I figured a guy that good would want to test free agency as soon as he hit it. But he bought into what this team was selling and said, I want to stay here. So that does go for something. The Julio thing, despite being a rookie when he signed the mega extension, it goes for something. But yes, inking a free agent bat on the free agent market, yes, would say a lot. And I will throw one note in here before we move on to our final segment of this show. Jerry said the payroll is going to go up. 
I'm going to add some context to that, that the Mariners could sign nobody and the payroll would still go up because of escalators in everyone's contracts, George Kirby, Logan Gilbert getting closer to arbitration, J.P. Crawford's contract going up, Castillo's. um, Julio's. Castillo's, Julio's, yep. All those guys, like the the money goes up. So take it with a grain of salt when Jerry says, yeah, the payroll is, of course, going to go up next year. It's like, well, no matter what you do, the payroll is going to go up. So it's the matter of how much the payroll will go up. Overall, um, entertaining afternoon, I would say. I was very entertained. I had our I was at work at the radio station and I had our Twitter account pulled up as you were tweeting out some live quotes and just reading the reactions, not replying, just reading for a couple of hours and I'll say I was sufficiently entertained. So the people the people brought their good stuff today. They did. And they've really brought it the last couple of weeks. I mean, man, some of these videos we take in the press conferences and media scrums now that we tweet out they have really started to get some pushback from people earlier in the year. It was, it was a little more tame. People are just grilling our comment sections all of a sudden, but that's good. Please comment as much as possible. We love it. We probably, probably won't respond to you if you're nasty, but if you're nice, we might, we'll consider it. Let's hear a little bit from BetterHelp. Is something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? Regardless, if you have a clinical mental health issue like depression or anxiety, or if you're just a human who lives in this world who's going through a hard time, therapy can give you the tools to approach your life in a very different way. That's why I'm excited to tell you about today's sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp's mission is to make therapy more affordable and more accessible. And this is an important mission because finding a therapist can be really hard, especially when you're limited to options in your area. BetterHelp is a platform that makes finding a therapist easier because it's online, it's remote, and by filling out a few questions, BetterHelp can match you with a professional therapist in as little as a few days. It's easy to sign up and get matched. There's a link in our description. It's betterhelp.com slash marinelayerpod. That's betterhelp.com slash marinelayerpod. Clicking that link helps support this podcast, but also gets you 10% off your first month of BetterHelp so you can connect with a therapist and see if it helps you. So if you're struggling, consider online therapy with BetterHelp. Click the link in the description or visit betterhelp.com slash marinelayerpod. Okay, final segment. The news came out this week that I think everyone has been looking forward to for months. Ty France is going to driveline. I feel like this is about the easiest decision he could possibly make. Is it fair to say that he could really benefit from it? Uh, Yeah, because he can't do what he did last year and stay on this roster. That's for sure. He can't. And they talked about it after the final game on Sunday. Reporters talked to some of the players. And one of the things that was reported was J.P. Crawford said, I'm planning to go back to driveline this winter. And he said, look, I'm going to take Ty France with me. And it sounds like Ty has every intention to go to driveline. And from what we gathered from this press conference here today, it sounds like it's his call, too. It sounds like he talked to J.P. about it. They had a good conversation about it. J.P. sold him on the idea. And now he's going to follow suit, which is great because we saw the wonders it did for JP this year. Hopefully it can do the same thing for Ty. There's one thing I come back to with this. I was kind of poking around Ty's numbers last night and trying to see, okay, is there one thing JP did extraordinarily well this year that he wasn't doing well slash was bad at last season? And then what's one thing Ty France is bad at this season that he can do better at next season with more driveline? I think it's simple. 
hitting fastballs. J.P. Crawford was about a league average hitter against every other pitch this season, except fastballs, where his run value was plus 17. And if you look back in 2022, before J.P. went to driveline, we t- we talked about how bad he was at hitting fastballs, negative four run value. Well, he remedied that pretty well here in 2023. Ty France has regressed against four seamers because in 21, he was plus 10 against four seamers. And that was a really good offensive season for Ty. And in 2022, he was plus seven at hitting fastballs. Another solid offensive season for Ty. But this season, this season it dropped back to negative two. He needs to get back to doing damage against the pitch. Most guys in baseball do damage against. We could we could dive into this even more of like what Ty France needs to get better at. But in terms of like a baseline view of one thing J.P. Crawford got way better at, and this is another thing that Ty France can also get way better at and help him improve in this upcoming season. And his lack of success against fastballs is right in lockstep with the way his numbers have regressed over the last few years. 2020, short sample size, but he had a 133 WRC plus and an 836 OPS during that COVID season. 2021, 129 WRC plus, 813 OPS, still a good year. Like you talked about, he squared up fastballs a bunch that season. 22, went to 125 WRC plus, 774 OPS. So here we go. It's starting to deteriorate. And then this year, with the hard drop-off, 104 WRC+, plus, 703 OPS. Yeah, so so this roller coaster needs to get back on the upswing. It cannot continue to just be a downward spiral. If Ty France is going to play first base, a position that is supposed to be a premier offensive spot, he's going to have to get back to the guy he was. Doesn't necessarily have to be the first half of 2022 when he was a top 8 to 10 hitter in baseball, but more like the 2021 Ty France, where he was just a really, really, solid offensive catalyst. Again, WRC plus in the 120s. He'll take that every day of the week, but he needs to get back to somewhere around that range. And I think it starts with what you outlined. He's got to hit heaters. One thing I thought was interesting too, JP said he's going to go to driveline even earlier than he did last year. We thought JP spent a lot of the off season at driveline, but he says there's still more time he could have spent there last off season. And he's going to make up for that time this offseason, he's going to make sure Ty France is there with him at the same time. It sounds like Ty's going to, uh, uh, it came out that Ty had recently bought some property up here in the Pacific Northwest and was going to make it more convenient for him to go to driveline, which is amazing. And I'm, Jerry didn't name drop who else was at, uh, who else was going to go to driveline, but it doesn't sound like those are the only two Mariners that are going, which if, you know, people say they can't run this roster back, but say they do, I guess the the only saving grace is if you send them all to driveline and, and just cross your fingers that they'll magically turn into the 2023 J.P. Crawford. Yeah, so that I asked Jerry this question today, which funny, I, I usually don't ask questions in these pressers or media scrums, but I knew we were going to be talking about this today. I knew we were going to talk, we were going to be talking about Ty going to driveline. So I figured it'd be interesting to get some context on it, which a little more nerve-wracking to ask a question in a Mariners media setting than when we were covering ASU baseball and we wanted to ask, why does the bullpen continue to falter? Only to get the answer of, we were one arm away from going to Omaha. <laughs> but that's that's a little inside <laughs> joke for anybody who might have followed ASU baseball while we were there, which you probably didn't. But the, oh. the context is, man, ASU's bullpen was bad. And there would be quotes that were thrown out there about it that kind of just made people scratch their heads for, for every good reason. <laughs> That's not what happened in this Mariners presser today. Jerry gave us a good answer when I asked about the question. I said, 
did you guys have any input on Ty's decision to what it sounds like will be an off season at driveline? And I figured the answer was no. It's usually a player made decision, but Jerry said the same thing. It was Ty's call. He, he told us about what his intentions were this winter. And, 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 you know, we obviously will let a player do what they think is best for them to do to get better over the course of an off season. But Jerry also said, I don't think Ty and JP are going to be the only two guys going to driveline. So he didn't name drop other guys, but it does sound like there's going to be some more Mariners headed that way, which would be great because there's a lot of guys who could pick up their offense a little bit come 2024. So if more guys are going to head to driveline and do what JP did, sign everybody right up. Who do we think it would be? I don't think it would be Jared. You mentioned because you're he just got his new hitting coach last offseason, which helped him have the amazing month of April. I don't think you would tinker with that. Julio go no. to driveline? Maybe. Although he Julio? spends he spends most of his winter either in the DR or in Tampa. So unless he was gonna I mean, he has a house here now too. So I guess he could stay theoretically and go to driveline. It's possible. But I mean, Gino would be a candidate for it, right? This is a guy that needs to slug a whole lot more than he did in 2023. That could be one. Maybe some of the utility guys, maybe some guys like Dylan Moore or Sam Haggerty would head that way. Maybe a Josh Rojas would head that way, right? I mean, I mean, it, it could be a whole Probably. number of guys. It, yeah, my guess is it would not be Kelnick because like you said, he just had this revamp swing and a new hitting coach this offseason and again he got off to such the great start and then obviously his his season as a whole was a little bit up and down the injury had a lot to do with that but I would bet you he sticks with a similar routine that he did last offseason there's a number of guys that could go head the way of driveline who it'll be and how many others it will be TBD but the more the merrier because here's the thing about don't forget the pitchers too don't forget the pitchers oh well, well, those guys. Well, Logan Gilbert already does stuff at driveline. So, yeah, there could right. be more pitchers going that way. Logan Gilbert does. Matt, Brat, Matt Brash does. Uh, maybe some others will, too. It's funny because it, I want Ty France, just like everybody else, to get back to the way he was in 2021, which I feel like if driveline did wonders to this level for JP, why couldn't it be done for Ty? Because when you just look at the pure hitter in each of them, I think Ty France is a better pure hitter than J.P. Crawford. So if Dryline did this much for J.P., it makes me just think, well, maybe they could really get Ty back to that all-star level. Pure hitter like hitting for average or comparing the best version of Ty France to the best version of J.P. Crawford? I guess, I guess either. I mean, like when you just talk about, when you just talk about, well, I guess power has a little bit to do with it here. But, and JP this season slugged 19 home runs where, you know, t- t- what, what's Ty's career high with the Mariners? Not many more. It's 20. Right. Right. Do you not think Ty's a better pure hitter than JP Crawford? I mean, again, look what look what Ty did in 21 in the first half of 22. People called well, him baby Edgar for a little what, bit. What do we qualify as a pure hitter, though? Like, if we look at everything JP did well, he struck out 3% below the league average, led the American League in walks, hit for the same power as Ty France, uh, you know, 380 on base percentage. Like, what else do you want your hitter to do? Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe that's a fair point. I guess JP's down season was similar to where Ty's were at, where their WRC plus numbers were right around the 103 to 104 level. So maybe their, their lows were similar and maybe their, highs will end up being similar. I will say, I think the best versions of Ty France 
were better at the plate than JP. Again, if you just look at the first half of 2022 of Ty France, you're talking about a guy that was top 10 in the league in WRC+. And that's what I'm getting at. JP sure. has been phenomenal. He's done wonders for this team. He wasn't ever quite that level of a bat. Where Ty France was, at his peak, he was a top 10 bat in baseball last year. Well, I wouldn't discount JP's last, say, three months of the season. He was he was pretty good, but you know we're just kind of kind of picking over uh, picking over little things here. Regardless, yeah, the upside of of Ty France going to driveline is is immense, and there are things JP Crawford got better at that Ty France can absolutely get better at going into next season, and it could make all the difference between a league average hitting season and an all star hitting season. Absolutely, and, and this is not to knock one player or the other. Peak J.P. Crawford and peak Ty France are both phenomenal ballplayers, and both are incredible assets for this team when they're playing at their best. Is it, this is not to this is not meant to you know degrade one or the other. I just think again when Ty is at his best, that's a really good hitter. That's all. But if they both go to driveline and they both keep making improvements, this offense could look a lot different next year. And I'll tell you what, the Mariners could have really used a good version of Ty France this season, and they didn't get it. No, they didn't. Man, that was kind of a jam-packed episode. And I'll tell you what, not the most fun episode we've done, just in terms of we have to sit here and stir about how long this offseason is going to be, look back on everything that went wrong this year, how we talked about there was preseason expectations on a whiteboard to win the whole thing, and now they're not in the playoff field. Like, that's not so fun. So, oh, we had a lot to get off our chest on this episode. Although, I will say... I think we're going to have some fun episodes planned moving forward, starting on Friday, by the way. I know we lightly talked about, oh, we're probably going to do just one show a week in the offseason. Well, we made a little bit of a a change. We decided let's just keep the two week going because there's a lot we can do in the offseason. There's a lot we can talk about. So stay tuned twice a week because we are going to keep doing two shows a week. And on Friday, our first show, our first Friday show of the offseason, we're going to bring our early free agent or sorry, not free agent, but early offseason wish list here to the pod. TJ and I are going to make two separate lists, talk about who are targets we want to see the Mariners go get that could be trade or free agency and why it makes sense. So we're going to dive right into offseason stuff. What happens when a team doesn't make the playoffs? You start to stir and think about, oh, how can they get better next year? So that's what we're going to do. And and we're going to shoot our two cents about it. And we mentioned the two weeks after that will be grades, infield, outfield, starters, and relievers. There will be interviews mixed in as well, and we're going to continue to do our MLB wraparound stuff. We have a lot of playoffs to keep track of. We'll have the results of the wildcard series, I believe, by the time we record on Thursday for Friday's episode, which will be nice. We can talk about that. And hey, if there are any umpires that make their name known in the playoffs, oh, you you bet your ass we're holding them accountable right here on this podcast. Yes, we will. So, unfortunately, there's no... Oh, wait, by the way, dog, did you see that it was official that Angel Hernandez had the lowest correct call percentage of all umpires this year? And he only umped about a third of the season. Yeah, isn't that incredible? (laughs) That is incredible. He really doesn't fail to amaze, does he? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. What? He is a -a one-of-a-kind umpire. I don't think we'll ever see another like him again. I don't think we will either. And hopefully part of that is because the challenge system gets implemented. So it kind of slashes some of these umpire numbers in half. You would hope. You would hope. So that's our offseason plan, at least to start. We're going to keep rolling throughout the whole offseason. Unfortunately, there's going to be no live Mariners baseball to continue to talk about until spring training starts in February. But we're not going to stop talking Mariners. There's going to be plenty to dive in on. 
There's going to be plenty to talk about. Obviously, the offseason is going to be exciting. It's going to be very pivotal for the Mariners. And we're just getting started here. So we're excited to keep going and we're excited to have you along with us. So that'll just about wrap up this edition of the Marine Layer Podcast. You guys know the drill. If you want to listen to the full form podcast, you can do so on Apple, Spotify, Google, and Amazon. Make sure to follow us, download our episodes, leave us a five-star review. Reviews and the downloads help us out a ton. So take the couple extra seconds with that. Watch us on YouTube. Again, you can hear our expressions on the audio side, but you can't see our facial expressions unless you're watching on YouTube. So go do that. Like, comment, subscribe, turn the notification bells on and follow us on social media too. Again, we're going to be active there all off season. We've got a bunch of content banked. We've got a bunch more coming. So we're going to keep going there. Make sure to follow us on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube shorts at Marine Layer Pod. That's TJ. I'm Lyle. As always, we thank you guys for tuning in. Talk to you soon.